Well, good morning to all of you, and good morning to those over in the fellowship hall, the modern worship service. We are glad that you have joined us together. It's good to see a family of faith, and if you are one of our guests, it is uh, great to have you here. And my name is Paul Jimenez, pastor, and I would love to meet you. Uh, and so right after the service, both rooms, right after the service, uh, to my right from this room, out in the hallway here, and then the modern service out to your left down the hallway, we'll... Uh, get to see you and maybe meet you. So thank you for coming. James chapter 3, go ahead and turn there this morning. And before uh, we move into this incredible passage that God has um, provided for us, uh, let me just remind you, folks, Easter is coming. Do you have your dresses picked out? You have your ties picked out, guys? You good to go? All right, Easter is coming. And so in just a couple of weeks as we gather for Resurrection Day, be reminded that uh, we have our services here, 9 and 10.30, but for those of you in the modern worship service, I just want to make sure and emphasize, invite those folks to come and maybe slide down to that 9 o'clock service just for Easter Sunday only. And so that is a wonderful opportunity to bring guests for all of us, regardless of what service. If you can't invite someone to come on the most glorious day of the entire year, when are you going to invite somebody to come to Taylor's First Baptist Church as we celebrate Christ? So please keep that in mind as we count down to Easter Sunday. James chapter 3, we are going to uh, discuss today as we continue in our series, as we walk through the book of James, we're going to talk about our words. We're going to talk about speech, authentic Speech, you know, God has given words to us as a tool, really as his grace to us in order to communicate with other people. It's a way that we as parents guide and direct our children. It's a way that we as human beings communicate to one another. It's a way that we express what's in our hearts or what's on our minds. It is an incredible gift of God that we have words that we can speak to one another. God thinks so much of his son Jesus that when he sent him down to earth, uh, John writes this, in the beginning was the, the word. And so God has given this incredible gift of words, but, but here's the issue. When the fall comes, when the Garden of Eden, when it all becomes unraveled, words... Uh, while still powerful and effective, can also be damaging and destructive. Just think, think just this past week in the uh, political campaign. Donald Trump, they're asking him the question, are, are, your, are your words inciting people to violence and to protest in your rallies? They're going right at him, asking him, are you, with what you say, are you inciting people to do things that they normally wouldn't do? Words are powerful. Words are powerful perhaps in the home more than anywhere else. Do you know why? Because in the home where you and I live with our wives, with our husbands, with our children, there are no filters at times. And so those words um, can hurt. Those words can have effect on our lives. Perhaps you're thinking right now of a, of a phrase, of a sentence, of a word, of something that came out of your mouth and you hurt somebody with that that you love more than anything else in this world. Or maybe you received that. You received words that to this day, they're just ringing in your ear and they've settled deep down inside of you and you recognize 
That word is incredibly powerful. Happens in our homes, happens in our workplaces. Now in our workplaces, here's what happens. The word perhaps isn't quite as vocal, isn't quite as loud, perhaps isn't quite as straightforward, but we know what happens in our workplaces when our words get tangled up, we lose trust, we lose confidence, we lose um, all sorts of things that lead to, uh, to, to losing productivity in the workplace. Why? Because people have abused their words and they've hurt other people. Think of the church. This is why James comes to us today and he spends not only in chapters 3 verses 1 through 12, but he's already mentioned it a couple of times earlier. Be slow to speak, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. He, he said at the end of chapter 1, he said, if you can't bridle, we'll see that today. If you don't bridle your tongue, you don't rein your tongue in, your religion is worthless. That's James's words, not my words. And then later on in chapter 4, he continues on. He speaks directly and he says, brothers and sisters, do not speak evil against one another. So James has picked up something there in the churches that he's writing to that there are issues going on with the way that people are speaking to one another because he spends so much time talking about it. And we see this in the New Testament letters as well, in Ephesians and in Colossians. And throughout the New Testament, it becomes very, very clear that the New Testament, the churches there, have issues and problems with the way that people speak with one another. They are just like me, and they are just like you. And James says, all right, so, so here's the thing. We're going to see this today as we go through the text, that words are incredibly powerful and that words can be incredibly damaging and destructive. But here's the bottom line. Here's where James wants to lead us. Is the series is called Authentic Living. Here's where he wants to lead us. He wants us to hear these things, not to, not to browbeat us. And, and listen to your pastor this morning. My, my job is not to browbeat you. My job is not to make you feel guilty. My job is not to find ways to make you feel bad. My job is plain and simple to take the word of God and give it to you and you feed on this word so that, so that your heart and your life can be transformed and changed and so that how we speak to one another is radically different different than when we came into this place. And my heart is to do it through the word of God this morning. So when James comes to us with these hard, hard words, these challenging words, we want to take them to heart, not only as he describes these things, but hopefully we get some direction from the Holy Spirit as well. All right, James chapter 3, verse 1. If you have your place, go ahead and turn there now, and let me find my place this morning. That would be good. James chapter 3. Let's read verse 1 and let, let's uh, just pause at the end of verse 1 and we'll give, give you a thought here. Not many of you, James says, should be teachers. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> here we are, pastors right here. Teacher, shepherd, all right, your life group leader, your leader of a Bible study, your leader of a group of some kind. Here's the word of God to us this morning, to me this morning. Weighed heavy on my heart, weighed heavy on my mind this week. Not many, James says, not many of you, you shouldn't desire this with all of you got. Why? For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a greater sense of accountability to God if we stand before people as teachers. Thought number one this morning Teachers face great accountability for their content as well as their character. 
Teachers face great accountability, not only for the content of what they teach, but also for the character with which they teach it. Here's where James is going. The early church, they didn't have a full copy of the scriptures. You, you have Genesis to Revelation. It's complete. It's, it's finished. It's done. Right? Amen for that. But when James is writing this, remember, understand this. It's one of the earliest letters written to the churches. So more than likely, there are no copies of the Gospels going around. More than likely, there are no other letters being circulated. So what they have is the Old Testament scriptures. They have what the apostles and the teachers, these men who are gifted by God, by the Holy Spirit, they have the Old Testament. They have the Holy Spirit teaching them. And for them, for those people who are listening to the word of God, the teachers are the ones responsible not only for the content of what they teach. It needs to be sound. It needs to be true. But they also are responsible for the character with which they teach it. Because here's what's happening in those early churches. Teachers see this teaching gift and they say, well, we aspire to that. It was an honored gift. The Corinthians really, really loved the speaking gifts. And so the teachers would want this position. Why? Because we learn through the New Testament, and we also learn in James that there were two issues going on with some of these teachers. There was selfish ambition, and there was jealousy among them. So when the teachers say, I want to teach, let me in there, here's what they want. Attention for themselves, and they want to push their own agenda. I read this past week in one of my study Bibles, a whole list of, of things that the agendas that teachers were pushing in the first century, heretical stuff, but it was causing divisions in the church. And James says this, teachers, you, you, you stand in front of people, pastor, you stand in front of people with the word of God, you are responsible to teach and to preach this word. For by this word, your people will live. <laughs> but you are also responsible, teachers, pastor, you are also responsible for the way in which you communicate it. You are responsible not only for clear doctrine, but you are also responsible for not creating division. And the teachers in that day were known to create divisions among the body of Christ because of the attention and the agendas that they were pushing. And James says, hold it. Before we even get to words at large, teachers... Before you step into that pulpit, before you get behind that lectern, before you lead that small study Bible group, no matter what it is, recognize this warning. You will be held under greater accountability. That is a strong, strong word from the, from the Holy Spirit this morning. Take it to heart. I do. I do. It sharpens you. It sharpens you. That's a good thing. But then let's continue. Second thing this morning. It's found in verses 2 through 5a, to the beginning of verse 5. All right, read it with me. For we all stumble in many ways. All right? So he, he's going he's gonna to move out here from the teachers. We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or a complete man or a mature man. He is also able to bridle his own, his whole body. So in other words, he says we all stumble. We all fall. 
But in this particular area of how you speak, if you can control how you speak, if you can control the words that you use, then that indicates that you have a, desi- you have a discipline over or a control over your own heart and therefore over your own body. Here's the second thought this morning. That control over your words leads to control over your life. He's describing this. Control over how you speak to people leads or is an indicator of or shapes control over your entire life, the direction of your life. Give us some examples here, James. All right, look at it there in verse, uh, let's see, verse three here. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies well. Another example, verse four, another illustration. Look at the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong words, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot or the captain directs it. So also, here's what James says. Here's his warning to all of us this morning. Here's where he's saying, wake up, wake up. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts or produces great things. And so here's what he's saying. If you have control over your tongue, that shows a directional control over how you live. Horses. Horses are these incredible, magnificent, powerful beings. I love to watch them run. I love to watch the horse races. Don't bet on the horse races, but I love to watch them run. And they can weigh anywhere from 850 pounds up to 2,200 pounds. But do you realize what's controlling those incredible machines, those incredible, powerful animals? It's a bit. And I had to learn what a bit was this week or relearn it again. A bit is just this, this little piece of metal. And, and it's really just a straight piece that uh, is connected by these rings. You see these rings on the side of the horses that's connected to a, to a um, bridle and the reins. And this little bit maybe weighs a few ounces, depending on how big the horse is, compared to 2,200 pounds. They take this little bit and they put it over the gums of the, uh, of the horse in his mouth. Not over the teeth, but over the gums. And if the rider is doing it correctly and if the bit fits properly, the goal is not to inflict pain on the horse. The goal is simply just to inflict a little bit of pressure and to move that horse whatever way you want to move him. The aim is not to jerk the horse back. The aim is just with a little pressure because of that bit. If it's placed just right, as small as it can be, it directs that incredible, magnificent animal. And James says, I'm describing for you how powerful your mouth can be. (laughs) He says, look at the ships, how large they are, massive Amounts of weight, cargo, people that they carry. The winds come along and the winds can drive these ships, but it's something underneath the water that you cannot see that is so insignificant, but yet it gives direction. It gives, it, it, it gives control to that captain over that ship. And so James says, I want you to understand this descriptive truth that your words and your speech is incredibly powerful you need to be aware of that so then he goes on he goes on thought number three let's read 5b now here's where it gets discouraging a little bit 
And this is going on in apparently some of the churches that are there. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Why is it that every time I read that passage about a forest fire, I see an image of, of, of the, the bear? Was it Smokey the bear? I see his hat, right? Only you can prevent forest fires, right? That's what I think of. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now listen to this. Listen to the word of God this morning. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, or within the body, but here's what it does. It's responsible for staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it is set on fire by hell itself. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison, and with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Thought number three this morning from our text. Words can cause great damage, both deep and wide, if their words are not untamed. Word, words can cause huge damage. Wide, and they can go deep if it's not contained. This is what James is saying. He's saying, all right, here's a fire, a little fire left in a campground. The embers and the ashes are burning. It gets a little bit of oxygen. It takes off. The whole forest is gone. You've read those stories. You've read the news. You've seen it before. A little fire over here destroyed the whole forest, destroyed homes. All right, James says the damage can be incredibly widespread. Here's his warning to us. And then he goes on to say that it is a poison that can infect us awfully, awfully deep. It's as if we're injected with a poison. The words that come out, and, and it goes in, and it kills. It is deadly. It kills trust. It kills dreams. It kills hope. It kills confidence. It kills the life of people. Not literally, but emotionally, spiritually. It is deadly as if you are bitten by a poisonous snake. And James says, listen, church. Listen, followers of Jesus. These things can be incredibly damaging to the body. They can be incredibly damaging to the home. They can be incredibly damaging to the workplace. They can be incredibly damaging to the communities in which you live if you do not get a handle and tame your words. So here's the question. All right, James, I'm sitting there reading all this. This is incredibly descriptive. And you're like, wow, this is heavy. Okay, I understand this. I've got this. I need to watch my tongue. It'd be easy to go rushing right out and to go, okay, watch my tongue. Don't say anything. Just put tape over my mouth. Not talk to anybody. It'd be easy to do that. All right, try and live up to that. We need some direction. So I went to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll put it on the screen for you. And, and, and listen to some direction here from the Word of God. It says this, Paul writing to another church, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't let anything corrupting, don't let anything poisonous, don't let anything hurtful or damaging or destructive come out of your mouth, but instead build up the church 
to give grace. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, when you read that verse, we talk about that verse a lot. If you're new to Bible study, the Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus left us here on this earth. And the Holy Spirit is really the one who helps and encourages and guides and directs and leads. And I find it interesting. I quote that a lot. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't burden the Holy Spirit. Don't cause pain in the heart of the Holy Spirit. But isn't it interesting that it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit right in the middle of the section where it says don't let anything corrupting come out of your mouth, but give grace to those who are listening to you. And if you do, it will hurt the heart of God himself. Verse 31, so let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and instead be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's the key phrase here, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So I thought, all right, having, knowing James describing the tongue, Paul here giving us a little direction, here's some, some, some things I just simply give to you that that help me understand what it means to speak well. All right? Let me just give you a couple of these things. Speak little and with discretion. That's good advice. Speak little and speak with discretion. Where do you get that? Well, James 1, be slow to speak. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. Slow down how much I speak. (laughs) That's the word to me. Just don't talk so much. Slow, slow to speak. Don't speak as much. And when I do speak, speak with discretion. Give it thought. Make sure I'm concentrating on Ephesians chapter 4, asking those questions. Is this corrupting? Is this bitterness? Is this anger? Is this wrath? James chapter 2, is this selfish? Is this ambitious? Is this jealous? Begin to ask myself questions. Before I open my trap, Have I answered these questions to the point where only grace is coming out? This is hard for us because we talk so much. But if you need to speak, here's some thoughts, all right? Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Here's what I hear oftentimes, all right? Maybe you've heard this too. Um, If it's, uh, I'm not not talking bad, preacher. I'm not talking about someone's, I'm not talking bad about them. And right there, I know, here it comes, all right? Here it comes, get ready. Preacher, I'm not talking bad about somebody, but it's the truth. Hmm, okay. All right, a couple of thoughts on that, because I've had some experience with this, all right? Thought number one, if the truth tears down and builds up, then it is damaging speech, Ephesians 4. If the truth you giving this truth out in public tears down your wife. Don't do it. If it tears down your husband, don't do it. If it tears down your children, your family, don't, just don't say it regardless of how frustrated you are. Don't do it. If it tears down the body of Christ, don't do it, even if it is true. Because the standard is grace and truth. That's the standard. All right, now watch this. Watch this. Um, Here's another thought. Preacher, I'm not talking bad about anybody, but I'm just telling you what's true. All right, second thought. You more than likely don't have the whole truth. 
you, you more than likely don't have the full picture. You, you, you more than likely don't know what's behind the scenes. You know, more than likely don't know the tone. You don't know the hurt. You don't know the pain. You don't know anything behind. You don't have the full picture. You know why? Because you are not God. You, you more than likely don't know. You know how it is with your husband. You know how it is with your wife. You know there are other things behind there. If you just patiently walk through with them, you might find there's more there than what you originally thought. Something else here, under this issue of, I'm not talking bad about anybody, I'm just telling you what's true, all right? If somebody needs correction, and sometimes truth is absolutely needed, correction is absolutely needed at times, but you do it in private. And you don't discipline them by talking about them to other people. You, you do this privately. You, you, you do this as you would your son or your daughter. As you would anyone that you love dearly, you treat them with great care, with great gentleness in private. Number four, understand this, that whatever is said is likely to be repeated and it's likely to be distorted. <laughs> you ever play that game? I forget what the name of the game is called, but... If I were to whisper something, Kevin's down front here. If I were to whisper something to Kevin and he's to pass it on to Emma and it goes on down through the aisles and we get to the very, very, very back, all right? Um, you know this game where whatever I say to, to that first person, you know by the time it ends up there, it's totally discombobulated. You understand that, right? I mean, you could say, uh, Kevin, I love Jesus. And by the time it gets to the back, you, you might say, I love scrambled eggs and cheese on my eggs, right? You don't know. And, and, and understand this, this is where the damage, this is where the fire goes, this is why he says it's a small fire and it explodes because, because the truth when it's repeated is often distorted. I put my slant on it, you put your slant on it, by the time it gets around the block, guess what? It's a fire. It's uncontrollable. Last under this uh, point, you have a responsibility to stop it and to steer it to the direct source. You have a responsibility not just to say, oh, really? Oh, oh, man, I don't know about that. Oh, okay, okay. But to say, you know what? I'd be grateful for you to go to that person. Whoa. That'll win you popularity pills right there, I promise you. I would advise you to go to that person because I love you and I love that person. I, 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 love, I love mom um, I would advise you, and, and, and I'm going to communicate with mom, but I'd advise you to, to go to mom. I, I would advise you to go to the boss about that. I'm, I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to hang out in this stuff. I, I'd advise you to go to the boss. With that. I, I, I'd advise you to go to whomever and go to the direct source with that. All right, that, That's one way to deal with that. Here, here's another thing, how we speak. All right, This is under the heading. Again, the damage can be wide. It can be deep. Here's another thing. Speak directly to a person, not speak to others about the person. It's a great practice, it's a great practice to, to keep in mind. Think of face-to-face -face conversations with them. And, and here's the thing. If you have to conduct the, the, the conversations around the water cooler at work, if you have to conduct the conversations where you're whispering around the office, if you have to conduct the conversations in the hallways here at church, 
And you have to whisper, and you have to hide, and you have to turn, and when someone comes, you have to shut it up. More than likely, that's probably not speech that is worthy of building up and edifying. I'm just going to guess. This is what followers of Jesus do because they care for one another. They love one another. They speak directly to one another. All right, so a wonderful principle. Here's another thing. Speak well and give grace and give life. I I, I love what Proverbs says. Um, you, you want to counter, you want to counter the damage that a fire can do. You want to, you want to counter the poison that, that comes in. All right. Proverbs says, 18 verse 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I, that doesn't really ring my bell because I'm not decorated. I don't know what settings of silver are or apples of gold, but I think I get the picture. It is something that is absolutely beautiful and graceful and helpful. A word fitly spoken. Ephesians 4. Put away all bitterness. Put away those things, but give, give those words that give grace. A few weeks ago, I was listening to the radio, and they had, um, they had this uh, story about a man. He's 89 years old. And he, 30 years ago, was one of the engineers who worked on the space shuttle Challenger that blew up. So for those of you who are 30 years, ago, 30 years old, that, that, this was a big deal 30 years ago when that space shuttle, uh, you know, the pride of NASA, took off and 70 seconds later exploded. Do you remember that? Those seven astronauts um, killed in that and President Reagan came and spoke. It was a huge, huge deal. And um, it was incredibly moving for the nation. And so this story was about one of the engineers who was working on the space shuttle, and he was in charge, at least in part, of the O-rings. And what happened was that the weather was too cold. The weather was so cold that he was worried, and others like him were worried, that the O-rings would freeze and that the rocket fuel would leak through there and then lead to an explosion. This is exactly what he told NASA. This is exactly what he told his supervisors. And he begged with them. And he said, if you go forward with this launch in January 1986, if you go forward with this launch, the thing's going to blow. This is not going to make it. And so they tried to talk to their supervisors. They tried to talk to NASA. And they said, nope, we're going forward with the launch. Well, you know what happened. Next day, it takes off and it explodes. In fact, this man, 30 years ago, came home the night before the launch. He tells us in an interview three weeks after this event, same reporter who's given this report now in 2016, same reporter 30 years ago, three weeks after the launch, and he, and he says to this reporter, uh, it was going to blow. I came home and I told my wife this thing's going to explode. And it did. Can you imagine? So when it happens, he goes into a state of depression. He, he, he is in such despair. He's 89 years old now, so he'd be 59 then, but he has prostate cancer, and he is under hospice care, and he's, he's dying. He doesn't have long to live. So he's telling this story, and he goes into depression, and he goes into despair. And um, the, one of the reporters uh, writes about him driving into work. One of the articles I read this week, he's driving into work, and over the bridge is the word murder put on there. I mean, he's already absolutely over the edge when it comes to despair and hurt and grief. 
But can you imagine all the things that are going through his mind and, and, and just things that people are saying and, and back then social media wasn't as big a deal. Can you imagine what social media would have done? And so all of these words are sitting in his mind and sitting in his heart and for 30 years, this man has lived with this guilt, this man has lived with this hurt, with this weight, with this depression because of the words not only that others have said, but because of words that he speaks to himself. Words that he says to himself like this. This is what he told the reporter, and this broke my heart when I heard this on the radio. He said, he said I think that one of the mistakes that God made, this is a direct quote, I think that that, that was one of the mistakes that God made. He shouldn't have picked me for the job. But the next time I talk to him, referring to God, I'm going to ask him, why me? You picked a loser. All these words in his heart, all these words in his soul, for 30, one-third of his life. And I thought, this guy, this is what words can do. A month later, after they ran this report, and they must have rerun it a few weeks ago. This happened in January. A month later, they come back and they say this. When we ran this, people started writing in. People, people like engineers kept writing in, you did the right thing, it's okay. And, and these people are just really, really concerned about this man and they're heartbroken over. And they begin to write these incredible letters and, and, and they begin to communicate to him and even NASA comes to him and write, writes this, you did the right thing, it's okay, you did your job, it's not your fault. And his daughter, this was the great part, his daughter said that she would sit by his bed or sit, by him in his wheelchair. And they get all these letters and they break out these letters and she would just read these words to him and his heart began to be lifted and read these incredible letters of grace to this man and his soul begins to be lighter. And no longer, she says, is he thinking about his mistake. No longer is he thinking about what he's done. Instead, he's thinking about the incredible grace that has been poured into him and is giving him now life, even as he dies. I love this phrase. Last phrase in one of the articles that said this, no man should have to suffer under the weight and guilt of 30 years like he has, but now because of these words, because of these letters, I'm paraphrasing, he is now free. Free. Words are powerful, folks. Here's what I said at the first service. You ready? Ready, modern service? The body of Christ should be marked by those words of life and grace, not by words of damage and destruction. Wow. I mean, secular people who don't know Jesus, maybe they do know Jesus, showing the body of Christ how to give grace. Speak well. Speak well into the lives of those that you love today. Give grace. I know we have to move quickly here. Thought number four. I, 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 do wanna, I want you to hear the word of God this morning. Look at verse nine. Look at, look at verse nine through 12. Listen to the word this morning. With it we bless, with our words, 
We bless our Lord and Father on one hand, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. <laughs> one commentator said this. He said it's like, um, and, and I don't know who he's talking about, but he says at home getting ready for church on Sunday morning, dad is yelling at mom because she's late. He's upset with the kids screaming at him, but he comes in and, man, he can sing really, really pretty on Sunday morning. Um, another writer said it, it's as if you can pray for your food and you can bless God and thank God for your food and then continue to carve up whomever at lunch. It's true. You bless God with, James is saying this, you, the same mouth blesses God but curses people. James is saying not, that's not authentic speech. That's not authentic Christianity. He says, verse 2, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not to be so. And, and here's some illustrations. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh Water, words, here's thought number four that attaches to this text right here for your study later. Words divulge your nature, divulge your authenticity, and display the fruit of your mouth. Words expose who you really are before God because words expose what's inside the heart. Jesus said it, I didn't say it. Jesus said in Matthew, from out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So therefore, you will be liable for every careless word that comes out of your mouth. Jesus, that is incredibly hard. That's incredibly difficult. But this is how serious the text is this morning. Your words demonstrate and divulge what's inside. It just exposes it. And James says, just as I come to a fig tree, I don't expect to get anything other than fig. Just as I come to a grapevine, I don't expect to get figs on the grapevine. Just as I come to um, a, a pool of water and, and it's supposed to have salt water, fresh water comes out. You are what you are and your words reveal that. Thought number five this morning. Turn over James chapter four, verse 11. We'll hit this. One other thought about the cross, and then we're done this morning. Look at what he says, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This is chapter 4, verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy here it is, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So James says, he's very clear, if you speak evil of others, what you're doing is elevating yourself to God's level. Think about that as you speak. He's saying that if you judge your husband or your wife in a manner that is not fair, and in a manner that is not grace-filled, if you do that to your children, you do that to your neighbors, you do that to, to the family of faith here at Taylor's, here's what you're saying, that I, like God, stand over the law. I, I, I know what the law says, and therefore I stand with God over that law. And you are not God, and I am not God. Instead, the principle should be what James calls the royal law of love earlier in his book, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So instead of elevating ourselves like God above the law, instead, here's what we do. We love and treat others with our words like we want to be treated. How do you want to be treated when it comes to being talked about? How do you want to be treated when it comes to being spoken to? Then you practice that same love for yourself with other people. So as we conclude, here's, here, here's the thought. This is, this, is, this is huge. I mean, this is our life. Words, this is what we do. And I thought, Lord, how do, how do we end this? Because here, here's the reality. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have hurt others. Some of the wounds, some of the things from the past have, have welled up. Some of you struggle with anger, all of these things. And it's easy to give wonderful tips and things that we can practice, and I want to do that. I want to be as helpful as possible. But here's what I would rather do, and here's what helped me this week, okay? I'm reading Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. And you come to that passage in Isaiah 53 about Jesus, who uh, the servant uh, Isaiah is prophesying about, the one who will go to the cross as we go to Good Friday, as we go to Easter Sunday in just a couple of weeks. And it talks about this suffering servant who has come from heaven but has been disfigured, has been bloodied, his appearance, you can't even recognize him, you don't even know, you can't even tell who he is, but he is the son of God. Here's the thing, he comes to earth and he has every right to judge and to rule over people. He has every right to stand up and say, with my power, I don't have to suffer like this. He has every right to say, Father, I'm equal with you. We need to do this another way. But instead, he humbles himself. And he allows himself to suffer. He allows himself to go to the cross. And then we come to this verse, Isaiah 53, verse 7. And as I'm reading through this, uh, one morning, thinking about James, it kind of struck me. Listen, listen. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not, what? His mouth. He didn't speak. Every right every right but he was silent he allowed himself like a lamb it says that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent so just as a lamb is being led over here you're going to be sheared you're going to be killed the lamb says nothing the lamb is quiet. The lamb of God for you and for me is silent. Why? So that he could go to the cross and die for the way that I speak to my wife and to my neighbors and to my coworkers and to this world. That's why he was quiet. And so this morning, both services up. I just point you to the lamb and I want you to see him. Quiet and ready to die for your sin and the way that we respond in our hearts to others. And I simply 
from the shadow of the cross usher you in there. That's all I can do is bring you in there and allow you to speak to the Father about whatever is in here and whatever comes out of your mouth this morning. That's all I can do is take you to the cross. And I, I leave you there in that shadow with the Lamb who expressed incredible humility and incredible discernment and incredible love so he could deal with my sin. <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful picture of words that are not even spoken for the sake of a people who desperately need it. Will you pray with me right now? In both rooms as we pray together, I would simply ask you, as we get ready to sing this song of commitment, that you simply bow. We, we sang it in this room, at the cross, at the cross. You bow before that cross this morning. It's something we should do daily, but it's something we can do collectively together. And see the one who didn't speak so that we could speak well. <laughs> to see the one who didn't speak so that he could carry our guilt for how we speak. To see the one who didn't speak so that we could no longer be held captive by words that bind us. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Thank you, Lamb of God for taking away my sin and taking away my guilt and my grief. Thank you. So Lord, transform us by this gospel. Father, thank you for this body. Thank you for the warmth and the encouragement that they do give one another. Thank you for the joy that is shared among this body that does love one another. But Father, would you lead us in the way we are to go? This is James's words to the church. This is the Holy Spirit's words to those people then. It is the Holy Spirit's words to us today. We receive it. We don't rebel. We don't fight. We receive it. We rest in it. And we respond with humility as Christ responded for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.